This is the Get Up 8 Podcast with your host, Eric Hodgden. Why am I on this road right now? This is what I asked myself when Google Maps put me on an alternative path to get me home a couple weeks ago. I had to drop off paperwork up in Lunenburg, Massachusetts, and I don't know my way there without a GPS. Now, I arrived okay without any problems, but on the way home, the app plotted a course that took me off track. And even though it was only going to add about 10 minutes to my total time on this trip, I let it get to me and I got really angry. And then I went on a different type of trip, an emotional one. Isn't that like life though? You know, if we're cruising along and something throws us off course, we may get discombobulated. We, we wish we weren't in that situation. And the only directions our emotions will go in is south. Now, resilience means that we have the capacity to withstand these moments. And when we know how to come out of these emotional trips much faster than we currently do, our resilience strengthens. And look, I get that, guys. You know, I, I, after I lost my daughter Zoe four years ago, it took me a while to get back on my path to heal. And it's something that I still work on to this day. And for this trip that I took a couple weeks ago, I was able to come out of it pretty quickly. Hey, everybody, this is Eric Hodgson, and welcome to another episode of the Get Up 8 podcast, where we unpack the challenges and struggles that come at us in life, and we find un- unique ways to help you face those struggles and build the resilience and thrive. You know, every once in a while, you're introduced to someone that comes up uh, in your life and they have a significant impact on your life. Their unique perspective allows you to see things differently and they share that perspective with you generously. And not only that, but they give so much of themselves in what they do for others that you're just naturally drawn to them. And with us today is one of the people that has impacted my life tremendously in this way. He's a good friend. He's a mentor. He's a master navigator when it comes to trips. And and these are the trips that we take in our minds, by the way. And I'm just so excited to have a this consultant and executive coach, David Martin. Everyone everyone calls him David, uh, here with us today on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, David. Hey, it's great to be here. And I thank you for the intro. As I was listening to you say all those things, I thought, is he talking about my experience of him? Because that's <laughs> how I experience you, man. So thank you. Oh, I really appreciate it. You know, David, you've got this tremendous ability to see what strength lies beneath the surface of, of someone that you work with. And you know how to bring out those strengths. And I was hoping you could take a few minutes and, and let the audience know more about what led you to walk this path of helping others. Mm. Well, um, thanks for sharing your opinion there. I um, that is what I try to do. I <laughs> I grew up on a I grew up on a grain farm. My I'm the son of a farmer who's the son of a farmer who's the son of a farmer, and I always thought that I had let the family down when I left the family farm. But mm. um, somebody pointed out to me I'm just a different type of farmer. I'm the genius farmer, so I help mm. cultivate the light of people's genius. And the the way I got here, I think Eric was, um, I have. Uh, less so than before, but I have a really loud mind. Mm. Um, and it, um, I saw over the course of my life how my loud mind showed up in uh, some ways that, I mean, could be really creative and give me good ideas, but also th- the way it would show up too many times was that I was beating myself up. 
-hmm. I was comparing myself negatively to others. I was constantly overwhelmed. I was being way overly self-critical. And so um, I jokingly said that, you know, I became the king of second place because (laughs) it was like, I was just always holding myself back. You know, I'd get right to something and then I would say I didn't deserve it or it was going to be too much work. And I would, I would just take myself out at the knees. Oh, wow. And, uh, you know, I, I could look for people to blame. In fact, when I was much younger, I did look for people to blame. Mm-hmm. And it's it's always easy to say, oh, they did that to me. They didn't right. give me this opportunity. They cut me off there. But the right. truth is, <laughs> as one of my friends pointed out to me when I was complaining about a few things, he looked at me and he said, and who is the common denominator in all of those stories? It's like, <laughs> oh, I hate you for that. But at the same time, it was a gift. And uh, so what led me to this work that I do with others is because um, there's no one know, there was no one who knows what damage we can do to ourselves if we let our thoughts and feelings run amok right. uh, than I do. Uh, because I've experienced it, um, now I've learned to manage it. And I studied, you know, I, I, I was in business for many years, had success, but always felt like I was, you know, just short of what I knew I could have done. Mm-hmm. And, you know, could blame my boss, could blame the company, whatever, but it was me. And then I learned the work that I do now. I've been doing it for about 23 years. And um, there are still moments where I see I've done it to myself again. Mm. And um, so about 10 years ago, I really started to study in earnest this notion of um, understanding how our mind works um, and how it helps and how it can be used as as a really great resource and then understanding how it doesn't. And this is, you know, I, I tell my story, but what I've learned is everybody's got some version of this. There's not a person that I've met that doesn't have some version of head trash. Right. Uh, And when we're under stress or when we're lost, like you were in your introductory story, um, it tends to get louder when we feel pressure, when we feel scarcity or (laughs) at least perceive scarcity. Yes. In this instance, it was scarcity of time for you. Um, But when that happens, you know, our, our worst self can step forward very quickly. Right. And what I learned is, you know, I, I ruined some friendships from that. I ruined some mm. work for that. I almost ruined a, a, a marriage with an amazing woman. Mm. And, um, and I've watched my clients do the same. So what I've developed over, you know, I've sort of developed some roadmaps for people. In layman's terms, I've read, you know, 50 or 60 books on psychology and mindfulness and wow. meditation. And I, pra- I practiced meditation for 25 years. And and I've tried to simplify it so that the the person on the go who doesn't have time, who's not going to read all of those books that I have read or right. that study, you know, I've studied in different countries and gone to ashrams. I've got, you know, somebody who doesn't have that time or maybe interest, but still wants to be able to manage that precious resource of their mind and their attention so that they can either feel better because mm-hmm. they're going through a tough time or have an impact, make a difference in the world that they want to, that they're able to do that. And, I, and that's why I've just developed these maps that people can use for themselves. So long answer um, to a simple question how I got here, but hopefully that's helpful. No, absolutely. It really is. And and uh, I've had the benefit of, of sitting in at one of your workshops and uh, I just gained tremendous value from, from learning about these maps because, uh, and similar to you, I've got my own maps process that I use mm-hmm. to help people navigate their challenges, but it's on a much different, uh, level and different scale than, than what, that, what you're dealing with here. And, and I love that the way that you articulated, uh, your maps to us, uh, just because it, it, it helps us to understand not only why 
we tend to go south with our emotions, but, but that there's the possibility to come out of that, um, mm-hmm. on the other side and, and actually learn from it. Yeah. And yeah. in your experience, when was the, and if you can remember, I don't know if I'm mm-hmm. pulling out the, the cobwebs here, but you know, in your experience, when was the first time that you realized that you were, that your emotions had kind of gone south and that you had to do something about that? Mm-hmm. Well, I actually, I can go way back to my okay. youth when I, when I realized that there were, I was behaving in a particular way and I could see that it wasn't helping. I was throwing a tantrum or pouting or whatever I was. And, and it was like, I couldn't stop myself. Mm. It was, it was as if I knew, okay, this isn't helpful. Right. This is also annoying a lot of other people. <laughs> um, but, and I knew better. There was a part of me that knew better, but there was also a stronger part of me at that moment that just couldn't stop. Like, I remember I was probably like six years old. I grew up in a small town, but in the small, t- or like outside a small town, but in the town was this thing, they called it the lagoon. Okay. And it was just this, you know, this, somebody dug a hole in the ground and it filled <laughs> with water. And in the, in the wintertime, it would, it would, uh, it would ice over. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, my, uh, a couple of families all packed their kids in the car and we all, um, went to the lagoon and we were going to ice skate. And I don't know why, but as I was about to get out of the car, I think somebody said something to me that I didn't like or whatever it was. Mm. And so I refused to get out of the car. And so, you know, of course, my mom mm. and dad worked and cajoled and begged and did everything else and it didn't work. So finally, they just said, OK, you can just stay in the car. So everybody went out yep. and had a fabulous time. Mm. And now I had dug a hole for myself. Right. right. I was I was indignant. I was right. And I couldn't admit that I had made a mistake. I'm watching all these people have fun. Some of the other kids are coming back and jumping in the car. Come on, come play with us. It's really fun out on the ice. And I was like, no, no, I'm here. And I had taken this stand for whatever reason. And I knew that it wasn't even serving me because I wanted to go out and have fun. So finally, right. like after a couple of hours, I let somebody coax me out onto the ice and I had a blast. And of course, in about five minutes, it was time to go home. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just, that's like one of those iconic moments where I realized, right. oh my God, you did that all to yourself. And yet I, I didn't know how to stop it. And, mm. um, and I think, you know, for I, I, I actually I know from having now worked with thousands of people, I know that is not a unique experience to me. Right. It's like we're watching this this movie of ourselves and saying, wait a second, what's going on? Why right. am I doing that? But we don't know how to pull it back. Mm. And I, I love that. And it's a great example. Uh, yesterday I was in a coffee shop here in town and and uh, there were some seats that were available and a, and a mom came in with her young son and. Um, the, 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 the boy, probably two or three, and, and he started to go after, uh, just wanted to go up and punch some of the, uh, the, the stand-up billboards that they had in the, in the mm-hmm. coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And, and from a distance, she's, she was saying, mom, or, don't do that. Don't do that. What did mom say about that? And, and he kept on going with it. And then she mm-hmm. had to go over and she picked him up and she put him in a seat and he started to get really upset about it. Mm-hmm. And what this is the this is leading a question here is that uh you know in situations like this as parents yeah when we're we're seeing that our kids are are having not not I wouldn't call them temper tantrums either you know maybe it was but but what is it that we can do as parents for our kids to help them when they're experiencing uh you know being upset about something because i i think when you're when you're 
trying to explain now what did mommy say about that that's not helpful you know that almost like fuels the fire that's like pushing the kid further down into this emotional slide yeah and i I just curious about your thoughts about that yeah well um you know disclaimer i don't have kids i've mentored (laughs) i'm a big brother i've mentored three young men over the Mm -hmm. years and had to deal with this but haven't been in the position as a parent to do this but i i have an opinion because i actually think that what that kid was doing, mm-hmm. um, he, if that if that persists when he grows up, he'll wear more expensive clothes and you know maybe have more facial hair or something like that. Right. But um, he'll continue that uh, because mm. somehow that's relieving. It's a relief to him. Right. Um, like I don't know what his experience was, but somehow it felt better to be up there punching that thing. Right. Um, than uh, than to be doing what his mom asked, right. and there was probably some triggering event something and it's usually an emotion right where he was uncomfortable mm. and so he was the that bad behavior that or that behavior call it bad or whatever that behavior sure. that he was exhibiting was probably giving him relief mm. um, from whatever he was feeling previously mm. and so um, you know there's a there's a great book about habits called um, the power of habit by Charles Duhigg that explains this in more detail but essentially um, first thing is to understand that when you're trying to change a behavior or change a habit, right. um, usually because it's it's not a conscious, uh, rational thing that we're doing, using ration or mm. you know thought and logic to turn it around right. is is not going to be helpful. Right. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, understand that many times it is an emotion, mm. and um, so um, that that's the other reason that that logic won't help. Mm. Um, and so there, I mean, you know, there are parenting experts out there who can teach a lot of this. The, the only thing I would add is also that, um, even in the power of habit, he says, you don't stop a habit. You know, if somebody's doing something, mm. you don't just tell them stop, like right. I'm smoking and now I want to stop smoking. You don't just, that just doesn't happen. Right. Um, because you, the, the stimulus is still there. Right. It is. And, and the reward of smoking is still there. So mm. there's that moment that something like something stimulates. I want to, I want to smoke now. So you smoke and then you feel the reward or the relief of mm. smoking. And so the same is true for this kid. Right. He, there was something that stimulated him behaving this way. It felt better, at least in that moment. Just mm-hmm. like me on the, you know, when I wouldn't get right. out of the car right. um, or you when you were driving. Yes. Something stimulated that. And even though we both knew our behaviors weren't good, it gave us some relief in that moment. Oh, yeah. So that was our reward. We felt relief. And so what you what we need to do, whether it's a child or an adult, is we need to find an alternative where they can, even though that stimulus is there, they can still get the relief or the reward a different path, right? Uh, via a different path. And mm. so, again, not a parent, not a parental expert, um, but uh, what I would say is that's why I find that you know some of the my friends who are parents that I just am in awe of is how they can redirect. Oh. the, the mm. energy right so that's right. The, that's the, like it's another version of redirect right? right like there's this thing something stimulated him to want to do that um and telling him to stop is not going to give him the relief that he's seeking mm-hmm. but if you can redirect to here's another way to get that same relief you know something stimulated you is uncomfortable um it could have been an emotion it could have been he was just he just had a lot of energy that right. he wanted to raise. Right. Um, it could have been some aggression, some aggravation that he wanted to, you know, like express. Well, I, I don't know what it was, but right. if you can give adults or children a way to redirect without a lot of words, cause it's your, you know, it's mm-hmm. not their logical mind that's causing them to do this in that moment. They're right. actually unconscious. Mm. So trying to be conscious with them is not going to help. 
that would be a suggestion. I, I don't, hope that that's applicable. Yeah. Uh, but just giving a way to redirect. And that's why I've seen, you know, my parents, my friends who are parents that I admire, it's like their kid starts to throw a tantrum and they don't say stop throwing that tantrum. They just find a way to redirect their energy and attention mm. to, um, to something that is less disruptive or damaging. Mm. And um, then the kid gets what they wanted. They got the relief. Right. The parent got what they wanted, True. <laughs> which was stop doing that thing that was annoying people. Right. And um, so I, I, does that help? Eric? Yes. No, tremendously. And it's interesting because you said something um, a little bit earlier, uh, just a couple minutes ago about how, you know, you, you know, you think that when he gets older, he's going to do the same thing. And that's exactly what happened to me when I was coming back from Lunenburg that day. Mm-hmm. Um, I got off track. The app failed and and I got angry with it and I started to react and react, not respond, react mm-hmm. the same way that I would react when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I was, I, I, all of that learning that I did when I was three, four, five, or however old it, it started, maybe even earlier, it, it still is present 40 something odd years later. Absolutely. And, and it's not helpful yet. It was very it the relief at this point came when I realized that, Oh, wait a minute. Uh, um, am I really going to curse an app to the pits of an <laughs> e-waste dump? Because, you know, it, it just didn't work. It's not human. It's not perfect. I'm not perfect. You know, so it ultimately, it really just took me stopping resetting yeah. the app and then, Oh, there's the right course. And it got me back on track in a, in a couple of minutes. And I found a coffee shop in the way too. So, I mean, it was a win. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, That's but for great. us, you know, uh, when we're younger and even especially when we're dealing with something that's really difficult in our lives, and I'm not just saying, you know, a loss of a human or a friend or a family member or something like that, but even deep challenges, even the smallest challenge can set us on these emotional slides. Yeah. And, and I think it's interesting how uh, we carry this from our childhood to adulthood and and I just this is why I'm so excited that you're that you're talking with us mm. about this because I I just I know that there's a way to to help reduce the the slide uh, yeah. plane yeah. if you will you know from from being so steep and so deep and 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 mm-hmm. long in terms of time to reduce that so that okay yeah I'm in it I got to come out of it now and and here's how we do it so yeah so yeah I mean um, wow I could add about 17 different ideas on top of what you just said, but let me just try to be focused here. um, So um, in a moment, I'll talk about uh, an example of uh, a behavior that I learned. Mm. And when I do that, I call them trips. Um, You know, you call like react. When you react, you Mm -hmm. are not conscious. You are reacting not to what's actually in front of you. You are, that would be a response. A reaction is when you're actually doing it unconsciously, and it is almost always based on patterning from your past. It's a learned response. Mm. Um, so it, you know, it puts it all in the context of learning, and then learning is how you get out of it too. You learn a new response. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the idea is that you you do go unconscious, and it, then you start to repeat it. I, um, my example that I, I was mentioning is I was the youngest of four kids growing up. I had an amazing childhood, mm. and still. Um, you know, my parents were wonderful. My sisters, my three older sisters are all awesome. And yet when I was a two or a three year old and I was smaller than everybody and, um, I didn't feel like I had a voice. In fact, I, I used to joke that I had five parents growing up <laughs> because I had, you oh, know, yeah. my two parents and my three older sisters always telling me what to do. <laughs> right. And I, and I never felt like 
um, I got to say. And so at that age, I formed an impression that said life is unfair. Mm. And so, um, you know, when I take a trip, when I leave a trip is when you leave the present tense, when you leave what's actually happening and you go somewhere else, that's Mm. what a trip is, right? You go away. So you're still sitting there. I'm still talking to whoever I'm talking to. I think I'm there, but mentally I've, I've left the building. I've gone (laughs) away and I've gone probably back to my past. So I have that still. I have like when I was a kid and life felt unfair, I, that didn't feel good. So like we were talking about, I went for relief. Well, what did relief look like? Mm-hmm. I would whine. I would complain. I would pout. I would get defensive. I would withdraw. And even though none of those are really productive, doing those felt better than feeling powerless, which is what unfair felt like. And so because when I was pouting, now you had to deal with me. Right. I was, I had power now, right? And well, mm-hmm. the truth is until, you know, much too recently, I, I hate to admit how long it took me to, to sort of get a handle on this. I was well into my 30s before I even started, I think. Mm. I would, um, if life throws me something that feels unfair, which could be somebody cuts me off on traffic, it could be one of my clients says, well, you know, I think your fees are too high. And I'm like, are you kidding? I, this is so much, this is so valuable to you. And, you know, that could feel unfair. Right. Or it could be um, my beloved, Brenda, uh, says something that it seems feels like she's trying to push me around or something, and mm. immediately I'm that three year old again, and right. I, again, and I am I am on a trip of unfair, and I start to all my moves are the moves that I learned as a kid. Yes, it 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 gives me relief, but it doesn't. It gives me momentary relief, but right. it causes bigger problems. It's like a it's like a negative relief, right? It's, it's yeah, like, exactly. And I experienced that too just recently, uh, a few months ago, before I left my corporate job. Uh, there were several other people in the organization that uh, would the the way that they spoke to me and my team, huh? I I felt that it was unfair and I resorted right and I reacted. I and it's interesting because yeah. of, of the training that I've been doing over the last couple of years, it just didn't sink in. It just didn't click until mm-hmm. uh, very recently and right before I left. Where when they would ask for something, they're not asking for something. Uh, to to get under my skin. They're asking for something because they need something. And that was my job. I was a support person for mm-hmm. the organization from a technology perspective. So mm-hmm. when it came to uh, asking for, I need immediate help because I'm an executive and I I'm have a meeting going on and da, da, da. You had to jump and you had to do that. That was, it wasn't mm-hmm. anything that was out of the ordinary. That was the mm-hmm. expectation. But mm-hmm. when you take that, that, that ask, if you will, if, if it is an ask versus a demand, and maybe it was a demand, and and you turn that inside out and make it something that you are triggered by, when, uh-huh. you know, based on when you were a child, you're going to yeah. respond the same way as you did. Uh, yeah, it's your. I mean, and, you have you've built neurological pathways. Right, the habit is a, yes. is a neurological pathway that's been deeply ingrained. So hmm. yeah. Right. Uh, you are going to respond the same way, just like I until I taught myself alternatives, um, you know, back to you need to give to build a new habit. You need to give yourself an alternative path. The stimulus is still going to be there. Mm. The, the desire for relief or reward is still going to be there. You just need to find a different path. Mm. Uh, sorry to interrupt you, but I just like building no, no, on it's great. Thing. Yeah, I love that. And what are what are some ways that we can and if you mentioned this, I, I we can go back and listen to it again. Um, <clears throat> what are some ways that we can build new pathways to help us, uh, you know, as adults, you know, as yeah. you know, because yeah. I think that it, it takes time and, and it may not take that much time. Uh, but I think it has to do with with uh, 
understanding what that new path will be and then practicing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And can I just, and I, I want to answer that question, but I just want to call out one thing. Sure. There is no human life that exists without taking trips or whatever, mm. or being reactive right. in the moment. Right. So as, but I, but what you said was, you know, can you shorten it? Can you lessen the impact, the negative impact of it? Right. Mm. And, um, so the, the solution here is not that you're, any of us are going to reach a place where, um, I no longer react ever. But if you react and you pull yourself back so quickly that it didn't have any negative effect, some people might not even notice. Now that's, you've started to achieve mastery. Mm. Right. And, um, they asked, a uh, they asked a, an Aikido master, Aikido is a martial art. They asked an Aikido master, um, sensei, why is it that you never lose your center? Center is a, in the martial arts, it's a very important way to, you know, to carry your weight and your energy mm -hmm. so that you're ready to move in any direction. And it, then you're prepared for right. whatever comes at you. And they said, sensei, why do you never lose your center? And he smiled and he said, oh, I lose my center all the time, but I just know how to get myself back mm. quickly so that you may not even notice, it's just very quick. So we're all gonna lose our center, we're right. all gonna react, we're all gonna take a trip, so what can you do? Well, you can train yourself, and I think it's just like any other, like a, a performer of, of music or a, a, an athlete has to do the same thing. You, when you don't need, when, when you're not on the stage or in the game, you practice to, to develop the skills that you need when you are under pressure. And so the same is true with this. We, so there are, I would say there are two main paths that you would take to practice to get better. Um, and one is um, a physical path because many of, like if you notice when you're on a trip, there are things that are going on physically. Your, your body will change. Like when you were on your trip, when you were literally on a trip, taking a trip because mm -hmm. the GPS wasn't giving you what you wanted, um, <laughs> you probably had a physical reaction, right? Oh, yeah. What did you do? Well, it, it, I had to stop myself from rolling down the damn window and throwing out the phone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I think, you know what it was? I, I think my, my heart, my heart rate increased, my stress yeah. level increased. That was, yeah, because my, you, my you blood pressure, when we go on that trip, yeah, you went into fight, flight and freeze mode. Right. I mean, that's like your, your, your amygdala, that, that part of your brain that's always scanning for danger, it kicked in yep. and you were in fight, flight and freeze. So all of those reactions, your, your heart picked, your heart rate picked up, your, you know, your breath probably got more shallow, yes. your eyes got more focused, yes. your voice changed yes. um, and your behaviors changed, right? So right. Um, what do we do? Um, there are, you know, just some broad categories. One is physical. So mm -hmm. one would be um, to practice that alternative move. Okay. So what is it like the next time you find yourself getting impatient or like, what was it that ultimately was beneath? What was the discomfort that you were feeling? Um, was it impatience? Was it scarcity? Was it like, what was going on? Um, I believe the underlying emotion was that I trusted that this app uh, I gave all my trust to this app to get me home. Oh, oh now trust. Oh my God, that's huge, right? Yeah. So, so your trust was violated. Yes. Right. Okay. So, and and so you can just watch when you're when when as an adult or as a child you learned it as a child you developed this as a child when trust was violated you had certain reactions. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, what would you do that's a more powerful move physically? Would you stand differently? Would you speak differently? You can actually develop a practice, and this is what I do with my clients, is to help them develop, what is the power version of that? Like, um, it's not happening now. Like, you're in a very trusting environment, you, but just like an athlete who practices those moves when nobody's threatening them. 
so that they can develop the muscle memory. You develop the physical way of being more powerful when you don't need it, when there is no pressure. So that, and, and I'm talking about over and over and over and mm. over and over and over, like an athlete would do. Right. Um, so that you develop a new muscle memory so that the next time that happens, there's another pathway that, the, that your neurological impulses could follow. Um, and that, so that you've developed it. Just like when you're in a game, you have that alternative move available to you so that you're not, um, so that you're not uh, stuck in, in the only choice that you have, which right. is the one that doesn't help you. Right. So physical would be one. Another physical move that you can make that can just help calm you down in the moment is with your breath. Mm. Um, it, in, in particular, it, um, I, there's a, um, I would say it's breathing to account, and you want your exhalation to be longer than your inhalation. And, mm. and you know, I can, you can cite scientific, study, scientific studies that show this. There's actually, you stimulate your vagus nerve when you do this. The vagus nerve is really important in, in building resilience. And so mm. um, the sort of the standard way to do it, it would be to breathe in on four counts. Okay. So like one, and you just do it with me. Just breathe in. One, two, three, four, and then breathe out on six, two, three, four, five, six, and then you repeat it. You breathe on, two, mm. three, breathe in, three, four, breathe out, two, three, four, five, I six. I already feel and, better with that. Yeah, exactly. And so that's something that you can apply when you realize, oh my gosh, I'm on a trip. I need to do this and I mm. got I to, you know, it's too late for me to find the alternative route. I just need to talk myself off the ledge. Right. And so that's one. And the other way, so those are just two physical examples, all right? Um, the other way, is to what I call self-coach, mm. which is where you talk to yourself and you say, wait a second, is this really what's going on? It sounds like that's a little bit of what you did when you were in the car. Right. You said, wait a second. Yes. Right. And that's, that's often what I do. I talk to myself. I'm like, Debbie, come on, you know, wait a second. I remember one time I was just, um, I was on an unfair trip. Somebody had, I had heard through the grapevine that somebody uh, at a client, somebody had, had trash talked one of my programs, it was actually getting great results. Mm. And they said, not only was it not effective, but it was too expensive. And I was like, <laughs> who is this person? I was ready to take her head off. And then she emailed me out of the blue and she said, I would love to meet you. And I was like, yeah, I would love to meet you too. <laughs> so I'm getting ready in the morning. I'm at a hotel, I'm blow drying my hair. And through my mind, I am like, oh, I'm going right. to take this lady out. I can't go wait to, you know, and I'm plotting <laughs> revenge in my head, which by the way, is one of the things that tells me that I'm on a on that unfair trip is when I see myself like not, it's not pretty, but I'm like, I'm going to give her, I'm getting revenge here. Right. And all of a sudden I realized, what are you doing? And I started to self-coach myself. I'm like, David, what in the world are you doing? Mm -hmm. First of all, you've never even met this woman. Second of all, nothing that you've heard that she said actually came from her lips to you. It was all secondhand. Right. And you could completely, you don't even know what she wants to talk to you about. Right. So I talked right. myself off the ledge. I self-coached. And I just said, ah, maybe there's another way to see this. You don't know. You don't know the facts. You're mm -hmm. making up a story that's making you mad. And just go into the meeting and see what happens. Mm. And it was a love fest. Oh, She'd heard awesome. such – I don't even know where those other things came from or if she said it and then changed her mind. But it was – she's like, we want to do more work with you. How could we do – like, it was a freaking love fest. And had I walked in where I was, I would have blown it up. Yes. And well, so there I self-coached. That's, that's so, that's, that's so cool because when you were just talking about that self-coaching, um, it kind of speaks to the maps process that I talk about in my book and, and, and also, um, that I, I work with my clients with as well. If you haven't read that, Eric's book, read his book. It's 
amazing. Oh, thank so, you. Like full of wisdom and story. And yeah, it's a great book. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that, David. And, but what you were just saying about how, you know, you, you walk through the process in this case, you became mindful of what this, this talk was going to become with yeah. this person, meaning you, you were seeing the bigger picture. You didn't, yeah. you didn't have all the information. You, all the stuff was secondhand. And yeah. so you said you took a different approach to that, which is that you're just going to go in there and see what mm-hmm. the meeting is going to be like, which was actually setting up a, pred- a prediction as well that, that, okay, well, I want, uh, what you were predicting is that you wanted to come mm-hmm. out of that meeting in a positive way, not with guns yeah. blazing and, you know, looking yeah. like, uh, you know, the old K corral, you know, you wanted to, yeah. <laughs> and then, but you also had to, you also had to embrace the, the suck of, of the of going into this with yeah. knowing that, well, you know, you still had the stuff in the back of your mind. The unknown. But yeah. And, and all the stuff it. back in my mind. Yeah. I didn't know how it was going to turn out, but I, yeah, I, I sort of had to put aside that and, and be prepared for the suck, as you say, you right. know, like this, could, this could go really south, yes but I'm not going to take it there myself. Mm. Thank you for listening to this episode of the get up eight podcast. I'm Eric Hodgson, and I invite you to visit resilienceleaders.com where you can find free resources to help you start thriving today. Also, check out upcoming events in my new book, A Sherpa Named Zoe, How to Walk Through Grief and Live with Intention.